The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show today. I'm so glad you could tune in and join me. One of the things that I love to talk about is life after death, near death experiences, and the spirit world. Those of you who've been listening to this show for a while know this. This is one of my passions. For thousands of years, people have reported accounts of near-death experiences, deathbed visions, and contact with the spirits of deceased loved ones. I was doing a little research here about people's beliefs. Americans' beliefs in an afterlife is actually very stable across the decades. It's showed little variability since 1944. Belief in heaven has stayed over... Eight in 10 people, that's been pretty steady since the late 1960s, while belief in life after death remains roughly in the range of seven in 10. Belief in hell is somewhat lower than that still. And there's been a peak of belief in spirit communication, the spiritualism movement or afterlife communication that was between the 1840s to the 1920s. And actually by 1897, spiritualism was said to have more than 8 million followers in the United States and Europe. And there's still some spiritualist churches around today. There's actually one not far from me here in San Diego. So just a little bit of of history to throw at you there um, about my interest. So my guest today shares some amazing history, some amazing facts in his new book. Mark Anthony presents some information about afterlife communication in his book, The Afterlife Frequency, The Scientific Proof, of spiritual contact and how that awareness will change your life. And he brings all of this up to date with some great research and stories. I'm really loving the book. I highly recommend it. And I'm so happy that Mark can join me today. So thanks for joining me for the conversation. I'm excited to talk with you. Thank you, Diane. And it's such an honor to be here on Unity Radio. Well, I love that you can share this with all of our Unity listeners. And one of the things that struck me in the beginning of the book You write that you come from a psychic family and growing up talking about contact with an afterlife or spirits wasn't seemed uh, crazy in your house. That wasn't frowned (laughs) upon. So I was hoping you could share with us a little bit about what that was like. That must have been great. Yeah, it was. And at the time, I didn't think it was unusual because that was my normal. Um, Both my mother and father had the ability to perceive spirits. And I was talking to my brother yesterday, and he can do it, but he's just, uh, he doesn't like to, you know, he's still uh, a little bit shy about doing it. But mom was a commercial illustrator and an artist, and my dad was a Navy SEAL. And by the time I came along, he was a NASA engineer. So it's not like they were going around wearing turbans and and, uh, having neon signs in the window. We were sort of, you know, the family next door. Sort of. (laughs) And uh, when I was about three and a half, I started interfacing with my invisible friends. Now, it's not unusual for a toddler to have imaginary friends, but when both your parents can see them, they knew that, that I had this ability. And I'll never forget when mom goes, oh my God, he's got it. And dad's reaction was, 
oh my God, he's got it. That's great. It's so interesting that you have that family dynamic or that gene or, or something running through your bloodline. I I wish that that I had that. I don't know. It's interesting that my my parents and I never talked about stuff like that. We we share a similar background of a Catholic background and that those kind of things weren't really discussed. It was only when I was older and at one point my mother made a comment of things that she had seen that she just didn't want to discuss. So I wonder if there was a little bit of that, but we just never talked about it. But how great that it was so openly welcomed in your house, maybe not welcomed by everyone, but just not hidden. You know, yeah. it wasn't tucked away. Yes. Well, my dad, his reaction, I remember before I started school, because I started Catholic school when I was five years old. Now, even though we were of the Catholic faith, we had a very progressive, open-minded, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're mediums, you, you have to be. And my dad actually had to convert he was uh, from Pennsylvania, and his great his grandfather, who'd be my great grandfather or my great great grandfather, actually, anyway, was a Baptist minister in Pennsylvania, and my father uh, had to convert to Catholicism to to marry my mother. And when I was about to start school, my dad said, "Mark, don't talk about this to anybody but your mother and I." You can tell us anything you want, but other people won't understand. And people who see things that other people don't get taken away. Well, let me tell you something, Diane, that really scared me. And I discovered why he was so concerned years before I was born, like I think well over 10 years before I was born, his sister Marjorie was an extremely gifted psychic medium. And um, I never met her in this world, but I, I, she comes to me quite a bit. In fact, she actually makes an appearance in the afterlife frequency in, a, in, in the first chapter. And I wrote about her in my last book, Evidence of Eternity, as well. And what had happened, Diane, is that she was married to this gentleman who was an extreme religious fundamentalist. And he didn't like her ability. And, and he was a machinist at a steel plant in Pennsylvania. And so one morning he was getting ready for work and Marjorie said, I don't want you going to work. And she got very upset. And she said, I get this terrible feeling in, in my solar plexus, like in her stomach. And she begged him not to go. And he said, fine, you and that voodoo stuff, I'll stay home. Well, that day, a crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams and the cable snapped and it crushed the machine shop that he worked in and killed everybody there. And, you know, reasons to assume that he would have been, been one of the people who, who were, who was killed. So instead of being grateful, he, it's, this scared him even more. And he found a psychiatrist to give her a diagnosis of schizophrenia. And she was forcibly removed from their home and subjected to electroshock therapy treatments for over a period of six months. And my father and mother were horrified by this. Mar Dad said Marge was never the same. She was never the same. She never spoke about spirits again. So here I am, this little boy who sees dead people, and I'm getting ready to go off to a, you know, a, a religious school. And my father said he was very worried, and he said, only talk about it to us. So, so that's why he was afraid of it. Not that he thought that it's evil or bad, but he knew that people didn't understand it. And the nice thing is, it's more open now. I mean, here I am on, on Unity FM radio 
talking about spirit communication, where in his his day, when he was in his, his 20s, when that happened, that was unheard of. Right. And what year was that where your Aunt Marjorie was committed? Was this like the 30s and 40s or no, before no, that? The, it was in the it was actually uh, close to 1960. Oh, and okay. uh, yeah, even at that time, it was looked at as as, you know, people were terrified of it. And, you know, which is really strange because um, certainly I'm, I'm a history buff and I've studied a lot of history. The golden age of spiritualism, like you said, the middle of the 19th century up until the 1920s, 1930s, it was quite popular. But then it started to to recede a bit. Uh, and although there have always been people with these abilities around, mainstream religion has always feared them and looked at them as somehow negative. You know, I get people say, oh, mediums are not of God. It's a demon impersonating your loved ones. To which, okay, so a demon wants to make you feel happy that your loved one's in heaven, in the light, and bring forth messages of love, healing, and resolution. Now, as I understand what's supposed to be demonic, now they're the bad guys, right? They're supposed to make you feel rotten and terrible and that there is no afterlife and that you should just be a self-indulgent narcissist. That doesn't sound like a very demonic agenda when the messages coming forth are those of love, healing, inner peace, and resolution. Right. I agree. And there's also passages in the Bible that talk about necromancy and divination and things like that. But also, you'll remember this um, coming from Catholicism, the Nicene Creed that says, you know, I believe in one creator uh, of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, kind of paraphrasing that. But that line always got me of all that is seen and unseen, because clearly that there was an unseen world that was being recognized, right? And and all the stories in the Bible of Joseph and the dreams and all of that. So, yeah. Oh, sure. I, I always wondered uh, about that. Uh, well, it depends. That fear that it was demonic, you know. It depends where you look in the Bible. Like in Leviticus nineteen twenty six, um, you know, chapter nineteen, verse twenty six, it comes out and says, "Do not practice divination or seek omens." In Deuteronomy eighteen, chapter eighteen, verses ten through eleven, it says, "You know, um, let no one be found among you who practices divination, sorcery, interprets omens." engages in witchcraft or cast spells or who is a medium or consults with the dead. But a few passages later in Deuteronomy 18 verses 21 through 22, it says, and if you say in your heart, how may we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet, which is biblical for medium, speaks in the name of the Lord, the word does not come to pass. If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word which the Lord has not spoken. In other words, truth is the standard. And then when you look in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through um, 12, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. To one is given prophecy, to another discernment of spirits. And then there, and, and, but one and the same spirit produces all of these, distributing them individually to each person as he wishes. Then we have Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesizing, 
than prophecy in accordance with your faith. So, you know, these people that, that I, t I, I call it taking the salad bar approach to Christianity, they like to pick and choose what verses to justify their own agendas. Because when you study the Bible, and I know that you have, because you're a biblical scholar and a, and a spiritual teacher, when you start looking at the entire um, collection, there are plenty of, of passages which are in support of this because we all have gifts from God. And some of us have the discernment of spirits. I mean, some people are just good listeners. Some people are great mechanics. Some people are great mathematicians. And some people were given this ability. Yes, I agree. Although I'd have to say I'm more of, of a dabbler. I don't know if I'd call myself a teacher. <laughs> that would be a stretch. Um, but I appreciate you saying that. So I want to bring it up to the present time. I mean, we can see like there's been this debate for, for centuries, right. right, about what people have seen and experienced. And of course, you mentioned the TV shows that are very popular today. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of paranormal caught on camera. And, <laughs> you know, I watch the ghost hunters sometimes and things like that. So there's whole TV shows and hours devoted to this kind of material so what I thought was interesting about your book, too, is how you bring a lot of the current science and explanations to the forefront. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what you call an electromagnetic soul and the pure eternal energy that never dies and to elaborate a little bit on that. And I just want to share with the listeners that before the interview, I had sent Mark a video that I had captured of some orbs and I might have talked about this before on the show because I, I love my orbs video, but it was captured from a security camera at a crematory that's run by a really good friend of mine in Florida. And I've shown this to various people and it's been debunked. They've said it's dust and things like that. And I never believe that from the way that the that they moved. And you really kind of broke it down in explaining what that energy and the light and, and an electromagnetic soul is. And I could even share that when I've visited that crematory. And when you see people that have left their bodies, there is no spark. There is no light. They're kind of just shells. They're husks like this is just our carbon form that we're holding on to. So I just wanted to touch on that a little bit because what you wrote in the book just made so much sense to me. Thank you. The electromagnetic soul is one of the new terms that I'm presenting in the afterlife frequency. And because for too long, our understanding of spirit communication has been mired in the Victorian era, back from the golden age of spiritualism. And neuroscience is the study of the human brain. And if you look at a neuroscience book, let's say it's a thousand pages long, if you're lucky, you'll come across one or two paragraphs about consciousness. Consciousness being who and what we are, our sense of self, identity, our ability to perceive. And so in the realms of science and psychology, who and what we are is referred to as consciousness. Yet neuroscience cannot explain how the brain creates consciousness. The official position is it's a result of chemical reactions and electrical impulses, but they have absolutely no idea how it happens. And that's because the brain does not create consciousness. It merely hosts it the way a computer hard drive hosts the programs on it. So if you buy a new computer, your computer did not create Windows 10 or the latest Apple uh, you know, operating system or any of the programs on it. It merely hosts them. And in the realms of faith, 
a soul, a spirit is what is a what is consciousness. It's who and what we are. So I've been studying this for for years, and you know my background as a as an attorney. I was also I was a prosecutor, criminal offense, and then a personal injury attorney who specialized in head injury litigation. So I had to study the human brain. So I'm working on this and all of a sudden it all tied together. And we know that the brain, yes, it does operate on electrical impulses the way our computer hard drive operates on electrical impulses. And we know from faith that People of faith believe that the spirit pre-exists the body, comes into the body, and then leaves when the body dies. And we know from the laws of thermodynamics and quantum and physics that energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. And so I developed the term the electromagnetic soul to describe what we really are, which is pure consciousness that is eternal electromagnetic energy. And the the orb video that that you sent me, I've I've been part of several paranormal investigations and studies, and I've seen a lot of films like this. But yours really rocks. I mean, and in in uh, when when the soul leaves the body, when the EMS, the electromagnetic soul leaves the body, think of your EMS, your your soul, as a drop of water, and it plunges into the eternal sea of consciousness, and that's what we're seeing in your video. You're seeing a huge number of balls of light, typically called orbs. Well, guess what? That's what this quantum electromagnetic field, the electromagnetic soul is. And what you showed me very well could be photographic evidence of this. When I was in England at the Arthur Finley College for the Advancement of Psychic Science, we performed an experiment and the instructor, she was great. She was this elderly woman from Scotland. And I just love the Scots. She goes, all right, now we're going to be doing an experiment. And she was a technical whiz. So she set up all these cameras, which are used to detect ultraviolet and infrared. In other words, they're used in paranormal investigations specifically for detecting orbs. So that she set them up in this big conference room. The room was probably like, you know, 50 by 50. I mean, it was a big room. And then they had all these large screens so we could see what the cameras were picking up. And I was one of 40 mediums. I was the only American. So there were people from like a dozen different countries. And she goes, all right, now I want everyone to concentrate on bringing spirits in. And I want you all to sing Silent Night. And apparently everybody in the world, or at least in that room, knew Silent Night. So we're all singing in all these different languages. It's like I'm hearing it in French and German, and there's one lady from China. And, and so, and we're looking at the screens, and also we see these little balls of light, orbs coming in. And we're getting excited because, you know, we're drawn in these orbs. She goes, oh, you like that, do you? No, I want everyone to sing Jingle Bells. So we're all Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells. And all of a sudden the screens are loaded with orbs. And so, so this was fantastic, and we're all excited. And the, the study indicated that it's all about frequency. Silent Night's beautiful song. Absolutely love it. But it's a lower, denser, more solemn vibration. And then when you switch into a higher, lighter vibration, that brings spirits forward in droves. Okay, and the thing is, the orbs that I saw in the video you showed me were essentially the, the same 
as the ones in, in this study in England and in all the other ones that I've seen. Orbs appear to be a ball of light, and that orb is an electromagnetic soul. That is a sentient being. That is the spirit of a person, or it could be an animal too, because despite human arrogance, animals do have souls. Um, anything that's alive has an electrical field. Ergo, when it when the body dies, the the, the elect electromagnetic energy doesn't die with it. It's merely transferred to another frequency. So I hope that answers your question. Um, yes. Uh, but yeah. Well, I'm glad I could share that with you. And I believe too that animals have spirits and souls and emotional lives and and all those things. I think they they feel things very deeply. Um, and it's interesting, the story you shared about how the orb activity kind of increased or, or decreased with the song, with that frequency, because what happened with the orb video that I showed you is there was no activity until someone was actually brought in, a removal company right. had brought in a body. And then after that person left, it was like they came to help that person, or I don't know, I, I mean, he had whoever had been deposited there was obviously dead for a while, you know, but I just thought it was interesting how they all kind of came in and congregated at that moment. And as I've watched the cameras for the past month or so, there has been no activity. So it is kind of uh, hit or miss. Like I tried well, to find a pattern and there wasn't, but I thought it was so interesting in your explanation in the book of the uh, electricity and, and what you call the electromagnetic soul, just, totally made sense to me. And also in other uh, things I've read, another author, Alberto Violdo, believes that we are evolving to be what he calls homo luminous. He says we're evolving to be light beings. I don't know if, that, if that's true, but... Well, we already are light beings. It sounds cool to me. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I mean, that's a cool term, but we already are light beings. And Albert yeah. Einstein actually said this because there is no matter. There's only energy which vibrates at different frequencies. And traditionally, science has been split into two main fields, biology and physics, physics being the study of inorganic matter and energy, and biology, the study of living things. And it's funny because when you're around scientists, the biologists are on one side of the room and the physicists are on the other, and there's this bump, you know, between them, like a word, you know. But the truth of the matter is that everything is made of molecules, which are made of atoms, which in turn are made of electrons, protons, and neutrons, which in turn are made of the basic building block of everything, which is the smallest particle, quantum, which is pure electromagnetic energy. Now, for the physics people, yes, electrons are, are technically quantum. They just carry the negative charge, all right? But um, because a, an electron is 1 hundredth the size of a proton or a neutron. Long story short, on the subatomic level, when we're at the quantum level, there is no distinction between biology and physics because everything is electromagnetic energy. And, and so, and, and every particle vibrates at a different frequency. And so that's why my studying of this led to my, my development of these terms, electromagnetic soul, and also the afterlife frequency. Now, when people are in a, an intense state of grief and they're very upset, because I have a lot of people say, my husband died and he has not come through to me, and they're agonizing without meaning to. They're like that, that um, experiment that I was involved in England, they're emitting this dense 
negative vibration, which is creating a barrier. In in the in the chapter in my book, uh, avoiding the no 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 syndrome, um, like when people are overcome with grief or they're rejecting things, they are creating a negative barrier. And when you are able to to diminish that barrier, then you are more receptive to the presence of spirits. Just like when we switch from Silent Night to Jingle Bells. And so uh, that's just one of the factors, uh, one of the studies that that I've um, examined to develop these theories. It's also fascinating, the information that you share in the book. And I, I love how we're talking about light. And I just wanted to stay with that for a little bit, because perceiving the divine or God as light is a common description used by people who have experienced NDEs or people who have sat with someone who have died and witnessed this, the light going out. And you describe this as biophotons, that yes. light. And I mean, you basically just explain what that is, right? Yes, yes. Um, like what the other author said, you know, we're trying to evolve to become light beings. No, we already are, okay? Because at the most basic level, we're all electromagnetic energy. And biophotons, back in the 1920s, it was discovered in Russia that within our cells, our, our individual cells produce flashes of light. And in recent years, these have been uh, discovered and at, at a study, I believe it was in 2012 through the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, it was stated that the they call them biophotons, which um, it's not like bioluminescence. It's not like a, um, um, a firefly. This is an ultra weak emission of light on a cellular level, which is not visible to the naked eye. However, the MIT report suggests that our cells communicate through flashes of light. Okay, so think about it. The same light that comes from the star we call the sun, the same light that people perceive during an NDE, the same light people have in an enlightening experience is the same light that we produce within our own bodies on a cellular level, we are light beings. Yes. It just, I, it all kind of clicked when I read that. I'm like, yes, this makes total sense. I'm talking with Mark Anthony about his book, The Afterlife Frequency. We're going to take a short break here and we'll come back and chat some more about how you can raise your level of frequency to really have communication with beings on the other side. We'll be right back. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me after the break. I'm talking with Mark Anthony about his new book, The Afterlife Frequency, The Scientific Proof of Spiritual Contact and How That Awareness Will Change Your Life. So many great aha moments in the book, some amazing information that Mark is sharing. And I wanted to really get down to how people can have these kinds of mediumship experiences. Although you do explain in the book, obviously not everybody is 
going to be at that level, like a level where you are or some other mediums that are out there working people we might have seen on, on TV. But you have a great approach to recognizing spirit communication that you share in the book and you call it raft. So I was hoping you could explain that to us. Absolutely. What I'm not doing with the afterlife frequency is trying to turn people into mediums. And a lot of my colleagues, you know, they write these books, become a medium or I'm having a course, you'll be a medium. Look, not everybody is a medium. In other words, like you and I can swim, but, you know, chances are we're not going to be winning gold medals for speed swimming in the Olympics. You know, we can do math, but we're not going to be an Elon Musk. We can play piano, but we're not going to be a Billy Joel or an Elton John or, or anything like that. It's because we're all good at different things. And some people have a proclivity to be better at something. However, that being said, we all have the same basic physiology. And I explain the, the organs within the human body that are the receptors for frequency and vibration. But everybody is capable of having a psychic or mediumistic experience and benefiting from it. So I was trying to figure out how do I explain this? And so I'm working on on uh, writing my book and I, I hit writer's block. Couldn't couldn't make head heads or tails uh, of how to explain this. And so um, my head was pounding and I thought, all right, I'm going for a walk on the beach. So I, I start down my driveway because I live near the ocean and I'm heading in the direction of the ocean. And all of a sudden I do an about face. I get this tingly sensation. I go, OK, so there's somebody there's there's somebody trying to get hold of me. And I instead I start walking down this bike path, which is in the opposite direction. It's around 11 in the morning and I see these two objects shining in the light and I look at them and it's a nickel and a penny. And I go to bend over and picking them up and I can hear my mother's voice. If they're, unless their heads up, don't touch them. It's bad luck. And I start laughing because my mother was of Italian descent and Italians, we have a superstition for all occasions. And then I hear my dad's voice. It's money, grab it. <laughs> you know, so I'm laughing and I pick up these two coins, a penny and a nickel, and I'm holding them in the palm of my hand. And I go, oh, six cents. I go, wait a second, six cents. And then the cold chills and tingles overwhelmed my body. Now, a lot of people think that's spooky. That's actually electricity. That's an electromagnetic soul making contact with me. And our physiological response to that is cold chills and tingles. And then in my mind's eye, I see an image of my father standing in the ocean, holding this blue canvas raft he used to have. You know, he was a Navy SEAL, scuba diver, swimming instructor. And I'm like, what is going on? And it hit me. Recognize, accept, feel, trust. It's like rap. That's what they're trying to tell me. So I ran back to the house and I just cranked on the computer and the words flew out of my my fingers. And that's what my parents were trying to get through to me is what I do is I teach people how to recognize the signs from spirits. Okay, I was getting the cold chills and tingles. Okay, there's a sign from the spirit, the spirits. Accept it as real. When I picked up the coins, I knew they were trying to say something. Feel it. Don't overthink it. Now, this is where people go wrong. When they hit the third step, they start what I call cross-examining the experience. You know, oh, well, this can't be real. Uh, this must be my imagination. I, 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 you know, and you start picking it apart and then everything fizzles out. But if you feel it without fear and don't overthink it, that will lead you to the final step, trust trust the truth of the message. And this can be applied not just to 
contact from a spirit, but also if you had a near-death experience and you're trying to make sense of it, if you are present when somebody is crossing to the other side, what's known as a deathbed vision, and you may see spirits or feel something that the uh, person who is transitioning is experiencing, you can, if you have a visitation in a dream, you can use the raft technique to help you recognize, accept, feel, and trust, and then get the maximum benefit out of the contact. Well, I love how you broke it down so simply and it's so easy to remember because people, you're right, they so are, are so quick to discount an experience and the rational mind takes over and they talk themselves out of it. And I think if people were more open to receiving this kind of information and having these experiences, they would have a lot of comfort. You know, grief could be uh, lessened, you know, a lot of, they could avoid a lot of pain. And I was curious how, so for me, where I've had a couple of experiences, experiences like that, I've had some dreams and I've talked to other people who have had real vivid, almost lucid dreams and yeah. how that's different from just a regular dream of your mind filtering whatever ephemeral stuff, you know, you've been thinking of that day. So you recognize that dream is different and that you've had some kind of communication or I've also smelled things like my grandmother's perfume and she used yes. to wear this Estee Lauder <laughs> youth do. And I remember the name of it so clearly in the smell. Sometimes I've had wafts of that and then I'll think of her and, and feel that she's around. Uh, because and, she and is. You say, yeah, and, and I is. do believe she is. Well, th what they're doing is they're emitting what I call a frequency beacon. And think of like everyone that you love, both in this world and in spirit, as being connected by a three-dimensional spider web. And the way a spider web operates is through vibration. So if you are grieving or thinking very heavily about somebody who's passed, you're sending a vibration along that tether to the spirit. Conversely, they can emit a frequency to you to, and, and, and what it is, um, smells are very, very strong because the, the part of your brain that controls olfactory senses is adjacent to long-term memory. So that's why they'll they'll send a, um, a frequency beacon and they'll hit the Estee Lauder memory and there's mom. And there's no bottle of Estee Lauder laying around like, you know, anywhere. Or they suddenly you'll turn on the radio and there's that song. Or you notice that every time you see something like maybe it's a penny or a dragonfly or a type of bird or something, or a number sequence. Every time you look somewhere, you see this number sequence and you think of that person. None of this is a coincidence. This is all part of this energetic connection. And I explain in the afterlife frequency that this is not hocus pocus or, or some type of fluke. And I'm not turning, you know, stretching to make this fit. It's based on what's known as quantum entanglement, which is even though um, somebody has passed energetically, they're linked to us. Um, and there is a sound scientific explanation for this. And this is how spirit communication works. And this is a little different, though, from what you describe in the book as collective consciousness communication, where we can experience that right now. And, and actually, you have a great example in the book of, of songs that you're thinking of the same as another person. And this just happened with my husband recently. We went and saw the musical Hair not too long ago. So like a week or so later, 
I was thinking of that stupid song where it's like Scooby Ooby Dooboo Snabby Up <laughs> Sing Sing a song. Like it's this ridiculous song. And at the moment I was I was thinking it, then he said it, and I'm like, no way. How did you just pull that out of thin air? We're both thinking of that same ridiculous song, even though we had seen the show like two weeks before, and that song just sticks in your head. And that's like, <laughs> forgive me for singing it, but but is that a little different though? That collective consciousness communication is we can experience that here on, yeah, yeah, on we Earth can. Well, collective, collective consciousness communication. Earlier when I was explaining how the electromagnetic soul, when we die, it's like a drop of water, plunges into the eternal sea of souls. That's the collective consciousness. So spirits uh, and EMS is linked to other EMSs, linked to other EMSs. And that's why, like many times during a reading, um, a spirit will come through and give a tremendous amount of medical information or something that far exceeded the scope of anything he or she knew while in this world. And that's because we're receiving messages from the collective consciousness. But there's different forms of collective consciousness communication. So like the other night, I was doing um, an online event through brightlive.com, and it was a spirit communication event. And what I explain to people is I'm a finite human with a finite brain, which is only capable of one concept at a time. So let's say, Diane, that in that um, online event, I am drawn to you and I start giving you a message, but it resonates with 12 other people with great specificity. Okay. Well, there's a reason for that. Yes, maybe your Aunt Martha is the one that I'm talking to, but Aunt Martha is energetically linked to the collective. And all those, those other 12 people, their spirits want to touch all their heartstrings. So they're piggybacking their messages on top of this. Now, people say, well, that sounds far-fetched. However, if the Pentagon sends a message to um, Fort, Fort Bragg, there may be one main message, but then encrypted in that message are several other encrypted coded messages. Look, we do this all the time. And if humans can do this, human-made technology can do this, you darn sure know that this is what's happening in this interdimensional communication between our dimension and the collective consciousness. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about technology and some technological advances that you share in the book. And people might be familiar if they do watch some of the ghost shows like I do of something called EVP or electronic voice phenomena where people are catching this audio supposedly from the other side. And and, and maybe it is. I'd, I'd like to hear, th hear that myself. But there's something that you share of uh, afterlife communication that's being studied right now and worked on, pioneered by Dr. Gary Schwartz and his team called the Soul Phone. And I wanted to hear a little bit about that, if you could share about that, because I thought that was so interesting. It, it is. I'm not at liberty. Oh. Um, I'm on the board of directors of the Soul Phone Project. Here's what I can tell you. Um, in the 1920s, Thomas Edison was working on what was called then the Spirit Phone. And he was interviewed in a number of newspapers. And Edison, who was a brilliant guy, I mean, genius. He was kind of, you know, um, Elon Musk is our Thomas Edison with a splash of Nikola Tesla thrown in, okay? Um, and Edison said he believed he could create a device sensitive enough to talk to spirits. 
unfortunately he died and, and uh, you know, wasn't able to complete this. And so Gary Schwartz is now using 21st century technology with an absolutely brilliant team of electrical engineers and software specialists to tune into the other side, to actually have um, two-way communication with spirits. So that's all I am allowed to say at this point. Um, until then, the technology is us. We are the technology. But between Gary Schwartz and between Thomas Edison, it's not like technology for paranormal investigations have been stagnant. Um, there's EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. There's the spirit box. There's infrared. There's ultraviolet scanners. All that that um, examine different aspects of the EM, the electromagnetic spectrum. And the best friend I ever had, um, I, I we met. His name was Billy. We met when I was 11 years old in in junior high, and we grew up together. We went to high school, junior high, high school, college. After college, uh, I went to law school and he went to Asia and he, he learned how to speak Japanese, Cantonese, Thai and Indonesian. He had this incredible gift for, for language. And I, I um, traveled through Asia with him. I, I took a, a month and a half off and we and, and I was always going into the Buddhist temples and talking to all the monks. And, and he was an atheist, even though we both had been raised Catholic. Um, and he said, he'd always say, I don't know how you do the psychic thing. He goes, you get me thinking. He goes, but Mark, there's no technology. There's no science to prove this. So we had this ongoing debate, Diane, since the time we were like 15 years old, um, our whole lives about this. And one of the great honors of my life is when he and his, his bride-to-be asked me to perform their wedding ceremony because I was a notary public. And it was, it, you know, it was one of those shining moments in my life. There I am performing the wedding ceremony for my best friend. And there's everyone I love in the audience, my parents, all my friends from college, my family members, his family. I mean, it was just, it was just awesome. Well, a couple of years after that, he succumbed to suicide. And um, he, he had, you know, issues that, that I don't, you know, really want to to discuss. But you know, he, he had been coping with depression and I, I, obviously I was devastated. And so about a year later, I was speaking at a paranormal conference um, at Estes Park in Colorado uh, at the Stanley Hotel and talk about orbs. We we're there filming orbs and all that. And I had just given my presentation. And so then I was in the conference room of the convention hall and and I was signing, I was autographing uh, uh, books because my first book, Never Letting Go, had just come out. And all these paranormal investigators, a lot of guys from TV and all that were there. And they were displaying different types of paranormal investigation equipment. So I'm signing books. And my manager, Rocky, she travels with me uh, everywhere. She was checking out the, the paranormal stuff. And so she's walking by this one table, which was manned by an investigator. His name is Chris. And she's walked by the spirit box and all of a sudden she hears, get Mark. And she stops and she looks at this, this, this thing. It looks like a radio and Chris is looking at it. And then she hears again, get Mark. And he goes, do you think, do you think 
it means your Mark, Mark Anthony. And so I'm, and I hear Mark, Mark, and, and I look up and they're, they're waving to me, get over here right now. And, and so I, I run over there and I excuse myself from the people I'm signing books and, and I run up this thing. And as I'm getting close to it, all of a sudden I hear, dude, and, and Diane, I, I, my heart almost stopped. Because we, we had grown up in the surfing culture of Florida and we always called each other dude and bro. And 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 I'm looking, I go, Oh my god, that's and Rocky goes, That's Billy's voice, because she knew him too. And then and then I heard, Love you, bro, come out of this machine. I almost fell down. Now, I'm a medium, okay? I'm used to doing this stuff for people, but now it was happening to me. And it was his voice in the investigator. He goes, this is extremely rare. He goes, not only did it call Mark by name or, or the, the, the spirit did that was talking through this, but you both actually recognized the voice. It wasn't just some staticky thing. It was his voice. It got me thinking. And that's part of what led me to writing the afterlife frequency and one of the concepts in the book is is spiritual synchronicity, the way nothing is a coincidence. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, the atheist is reaching out to me from the other side dimension, from the afterlife frequency, and he chose technology to do it, a device. And he was the one that said, there's no technologies, there's no science. And I'm like, oh my God. And so, and that story's not in the book. Okay. That story's not in the book because I wanted to save that to, for interviews like this to explain to people that there is a reason for spirit communication. It can be explained through sound scientific principles. And I believe without a doubt that within the 21st century, we're actually going to have devices sophisticated enough to communicate with our loved ones in spirit. But until then, it's us. And that's why I, I write about this to explain it. And I developed the raft technique, which anyone can employ to help them communicate with their loved ones in spirit. I think it's going to help so many people. And thanks for sharing that. It's, I got, the, got chills just thinking about that experience. That is pretty intense. It, it was, you know, and, um, you know, I get choked up every time I talk about my friend, but you, if you're lucky, you get one friend like that in life. You know, it's like we met when we were kids. I mean, the adventures we had together in Asia are just, I mean, amazing. And just um, not a day doesn't go by that that I don't miss my loved ones in spirit. And yes, I can communicate with them and they come to me. But people need to realize that grief is something that we all have to encounter. Uh, it, it's a road nobody wants to take, but it's one we are kicked down at some point. And there is nothing, Diane, and you know this, there is nothing that we can do about the fact someone we love has died. But what we can do is learn to change how we react to that. And that is one of the reasons I wrote the afterlife frequency, because through understanding that life is eternal. And that's not just some, you know, euphemism or, or some airy fairy concept. This is real. And there are quantum physicists the world over 
who are backing my position 100%. Well, I love that you shared that story and the fact that Billy was an atheist and he reached out to you through something that he knew you would understand coming from him, right? And what I always notice, I've seen mediums work uh, over the years, and it seems to be the question that everybody asks a medium is, is my loved one okay? Are they happy where they are? And, and people have a real fear about where they are, where they go, what dimension or level of consciousness that they're on. And especially with when you throw kind of religious things in the mix, a lot of people would say, well, Billy being an atheist, where where is he and is he happy? I mean, what what do you think about that when people ask you that question? Energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. The electromagnetic soul is pure energy. It doesn't get sick. It doesn't get tired. It doesn't get old. It doesn't die. And it doesn't get depressed. But we do. Okay. And that's the distinction. And the greatest fear, Diane, and, and I love you, the way you articulated it, and that question was so so concise and so perfect. The greatest fear is that someone we love has just disintegrated into nothingness, but they haven't. You know, and people say, well, uh, they're an atheist, so they must go to hell. Well, first off, hell doesn't exist, at least not in the spiritual sense. It exists here on Earth. And if you don't believe me, hop on a plane to Kabul, Afghanistan. Okay. And, and I'm not, not being sarcastic. Um, humans do a very good job of creating hell on earth. We don't need a jerk with a pitchfork sticking us in the butt, motivating us to do negative things. That's called the human ego, edging God out. The other side, the afterlife frequency, is free of that. Hell is here on earth. Right. I believe that as well. I think it's a human construct that we created that we hope, because we hope that there's some fairness in this universe that bad people, what we perceive to be bad or evil, that something's going to happen to them. I mean, so you don't believe that there's any of that hierarchy at all. It's people called, it, well, it's would, called karma and reincarnation. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, there's hell. You come back here. All right. So if, you know, and, and it's not my job to dole out uh, death and judgment to people, but based on the, I've, I've done readings for easily 15,000 people, which means I've communicated with well over 100,000 spirits in my life. None of them talks about hell. A lot of them talk about reincarnation. And what's fascinating is in near-death experiences, one of the side effects of an NDE is belief in reincarnation after it happens. And my, my good friend, Nancy Evans-Bush, um, she used to be the president of IANS, the International Association of Near-Death Studies. She talks about atheism and NDEs. And I love her quote, most near-death experiencers don't believe there's a God they know. And I like that. Yeah. And Evan Alexander, who wrote Proof of Heaven, he too is a friend of mine. And uh, he's been on my show, The Psychic and the Doc, which is on Thursdays on Transformation Network. And I've been on his show, and we've been uh, speakers at Edgar Casey Center and IANS and, and other organizations. And he was a Harvard neurosurgeon who was a, a vowed atheist who had a near-death experience. 
And now Evan is like, he's such a sweet guy. He's like one of the most spiritual believes in God. And, you know, we, we've had these discussions, you know, people think God is like this neurotic white guy sitting on a throne with a scepter, smiting people for not giving, you know, 10% to the church of the, you know, um, uh, whatever. whatever. Um, <laughs> the, the thing is, though, I, and I'm not faulting people for, for, you know, the works of art that try to depict God in a way that we can relate to to the divine. Um, but the reality of what God is, is beyond our ability to comprehend and yet so simple to see. And it makes me think of something uh, that George Harrison, uh, the, the late Beatle, said. He said that when you look into the eyes of someone you love who loves you, that's when you see God. I believe that too. That's so great. Yes. It's been so fascinating to talk with you about this. I love the book, The Afterlife Frequency, available right now at Amazon, wherever you get your books, where they're sold. Uh, pick this up. And where's the best place to get in touch with you? Can you share your website? Yes, um, it is afterlifefrequency.com. I wanted to make it easy for everybody. And please visit my website, afterlifefrequency.com. Uh, kindly sign up for my newsletter if you would like to schedule a private session with me, a reading. Readings are just as accurate on the phone as they are in person because the electromagnetic soul moves at the speed of light. And also you can order my book through through the website as well or go to all fine bookstores and, and as uh, Diane said, uh, as well on Amazon.com. And that is afterlifefrequency.com. Pick it up. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been an honor. And to all your listeners, may God bless you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.